We will resume our study through the book of Philippians. This morning, Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, and the subject matter this morning is the supreme example of humility, none other than the Lord Jesus Christ himself, who we just sung about especially the last two hymns, very fitting of this passage in question this morning. I have some, in, the, in a world full of bad news, <laughs> I have some truly good news this morning. And something that we've all been praying about, a, a young lady, 14 years old, her name is Gwen, that's Danny Walker's niece, had a big tumor on her heart. And it was an extremely difficult type of surgery to remove that tumor. And uh, I mean, it had to come through the front, breaking, cutting ribs. and get, I mean, it's just, just imagine, 14-year-old kid going through that. Anyway, long story short, the surgery happened this past week. It was a success, and she's in recovery. So, Lord answered that prayer, and just pray that the Lord would continue in that family. Okay, hope this is just a start because we don't know what her what her spiritual condition is. And uh, again, but it's like I say, it's something that uh, I know the men's uh, Wednesday night Bible study has been praying for on a regular basis. So, and I know it's been shared also through the congregation on the prayer list. So I just thought I'd bring that to you. Okay, Philippians chapter 2, 5 through 8. Before I start reading, though, I'd like to open in a word of prayer. Father God, we come to you this morning in, in anticipation of this truly great passage. Lord, we, we again, we thank you for answering our prayers uh, for, for Gwen, and that, uh, again, Lord, we just... We just pray that through that we give you we give you here all honor and glory for that. And again, Lord, we just thank you so much. And now as we move into your word, we just I just would pray that you would make my words sensible to those that hear, and that your truth would go forward, and that as a result that all your people would be edified, and above all that, you would be glorified, and we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in, in the likeness of men, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Have this attitude, verse 5, have this attitude. Obviously, this attitude in question is humility. Why do we know that? Well, go back to verses uh, 3 and 4, where it says, do nothing from selfishness. Or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another 
more important than himself. Not merely look, look out for your own interests, but also the interests of others. And it just rolls right in. Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus. And he goes on, again, to explain what uh, one would have to consider the supreme example of humility. I mean, I couldn't think of a more powerful word than supreme to fit this. When we consider this morning the extent of humility Christ performed. It's, it's simply amazing. It's something we, we cannot relate to. Anyway, remember Jesus, Jesus of course said of himself, um, learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart. Remember that, Matthew 11. Jesus also taught, let's go back to Matthew, look, look at something, Matthew chapter 23. Jesus often taught his disciples lessons in humility. We're going to have a lesson here we're going to look at in Matthew 23. This one comes at the expense of the uh, scribes and Pharisees, which I couldn't think of a better group for that. But anyway, he uses again, he's going to use the scribes and Pharisees as examples, quite frankly, of how not to be uh, hum- humble by just showing, th- by pr- by presenting to them their pride, right? Humility is just the total opposite of pride. But chapter 23, verses one, beginning at verse 1, Matthew. Then Jesus spoke to the multitudes and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. See, nothing bashful about these boys, right? They set themselves in the chair of Moses. Therefore, all, all that they tell you, tell you, do in a and observe, but do not do according to their deeds, for they say things and do thing and, and do not do them. And they tie up heavy loads and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are unwilling to move move them with so much as a finger, but they do all their deeds to be noticed by men. For they broaden their phylacteries and lengthen their tassels of their garments. Now those are things hanging off the garments. So they hang Bible verses on them. And the more you hang on, the more, quote, spiritual you are, of course. And so they were, they were big on that. And then verse 6, and they love the place of honor at the banquets and the chief seats in the synagogue and respectful greetings in the marketplaces and being called by men, rabbi. See, so they love the title, rabbi. And it's interesting, but do not be called rabbi, for one is your teacher, and you are, and you are all brothers. And do not uh, call anyone on earth your father, for, for one's is your father, he was in heaven. Now that's not referring to kids calling your father your father, that's perfectly fine. But, calling, but referring to someone as father, as a title. Okay? Kind of like the Pope who is called the Holy Father. No, no, that should not be done. That actually is blasphemy doing that because that's taking the title of God and applying it to man. See, there's a big difference here. It's, it's perfectly fine for a son and daughter to call their father, father, just as appropriate as to call their mother, mother. Okay? It's just no, nothing wrong at all. Now, in verse 10, and do not be called leaders, for one is your leader, that is Christ. And this was the point he's getting to all along by using the Pharisees as a bad example. But the greatest among you shall be your servant, 
And whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. As a matter of fact, if again, and Jesus taught this on, and Scripture teaches over and over and over again. If you if you want to be exalted, then humble yourself, and later on, God will exalt you. As a matter of fact, we're going to read next our next week's lesson is due to his humility expressed and taught in the passage we're looking at this morning. Next week, we're going to look at the exalted Savior, the exalted Messiah. But also, if you remember now, if we move, move heading back toward Philippians, we stop off in the Gospel of John, chapter 13. Remember on the evening of the Last Supper, Jesus demonstrated his humility? Remember how he did it? By getting down on his hands and knees and washing the feet of the twelve? Look at John 13, 1 through 17. Now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he should depart out of this world to the, to the Father, having loved his own who were, who were in the world, he loved them to the end. To the end means to the uttermost, the utmost. And during the supper, the devil already had put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him. Knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come forth from God and, and was going back to God, rose from the supper and laid aside his garments and taken on a towel, he girded himself about. Then he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel in which he was girded. <clears throat> and, uh, and, he, he, and so he came to Simon Peter and he said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I do you do not realize now, but you shall understand hereafter. Peter said to him, Never shall you wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my feet. Jesus said to him, He who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are all clean, and you are clean, but not all of you. And we're just going to, we're going to stop here for now. But the point is, he got down, he washed the feet, and verse 17, he says, go back to 16, I should say, in chapter, in John 13, 16, truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, neither is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. And so this was all done as an example that as he humbled himself before the apostles and got down on his feet. Now remember, Judas was still in the room. Jesus washed Judas's feet. Judas was still in that group. There were still 12. Judas didn't leave till a little bit later. So now back to Philippians, verses 6 through 8. <clears throat> I'm going to pick it up in verse 5 again for the context. Have this attitude in yourself, which you also have in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." 
Now, in these verses, Paul is now going to teach the magnitude, really, of our Savior's humility. In verse 6, he begins by reminding us who Jesus Christ is and the exalted position from which he left to come to this earth. All right? Now, he existed, it says, in the form of God. Existed. Huparko. It's a, it's a present active participle, participle which, could be, which is probably better translated existing in the form of God. The idea, now this idea carries with it uh, having always been and continues to be. In other words, um, uh, <clears throat> although he existed, he existed or existing in the form of God, okay, He's always existed in the form of God, and to this day he exists in the form of God. So nothing's changed. He's, that's, that's who he is, and that's how we want to understand this passage. Okay? Now, and then the form speaks of his essential attributes as, as shown in the form. In other words, in his pre-incarnate state, Christ possessed the attributes of God. Therefore, the conclusion is, based on the the grammar right here, therefore, he is God. All right? Now, I want to compare that to some passages in Scripture that, that, that teach the same thing. And these are some of the, what I like to call some of the great chapter ones in the New Testament. I'd like to start with the Gospel of John, chapter 1. Gospel of John, chapter 1. <clears throat> these are always good to have it in mind if, when speaking with somebody about who the person of Christ truly is. Just remember, we're going to see John 1, Colossians 1, Hebrews 1, right? So John 1, just the first three verses. In the beginning was the word. We can stop right there. In the beginning of what? In the beginning of time, space, and matter. Creation. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Well, right there, we know from the, the context of John chapter 1, the Word is referring to Jesus Christ. And that is without, there's, there's not, not even a remote controversy on that. The Word is in this passage, is referring to Jesus Christ. And of that word, it says, in the beginning, that is at the point of creation, the beginning of time, the word was already in existence. All right? And then verse 2, it goes on to say, he was in the beginning with God. In the beginning with God. That, uh, that <clears throat> with God could actually be translated face-to-face as co-equals. All right? Face-to-face as co-equals. And verse 3, all things came into being by him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. So in other words, that's, a, that's a, another way of saying, if it was created, Jesus Christ created it. Okay? He himself is not part of the creation. He is the creator. All right? And that is clear through scripture. Um, <clears throat> as a matter of fact, in the... Uh, in the Septuagint, the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible, okay, where it says here, um, in the beginning, and arche in the Greek, if you, if you look at the Hebrew uh, 
the Septuagint, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, in the beginning, in Arche, same, same thing, same time frame, same event, in the beginning was the word. And now let's, while we're in John, though, I want to go, I want to stop off at chapter 12. John chapter 12, verse 40. John chapter 12, verse 40, because this is going to have some particular meaning for us as we move further into this this passage. John 12, 40 and 41. He has blinded their eyes and he hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes and perceive with their heart and be converted and I heal them. These things Isaiah said, because he saw his glory and he spoke of him. Now, what is that all about? Okay, now this quote, John, the writer of this gospel, gave us this information quoting this passage. And this passage is from John, or from Isaiah chapter 6. And he goes on to tell us in verse, that quote is from Isaiah, actually Isaiah 6.10. And then he goes on into verse 41 and says, Now these things Isaiah said because he saw his glory and he spoke of him, of Christ. Isaiah was speaking that the him in the context of John 12 is Jesus. Let's go back. Let's take a quick look at Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. This ought to be, quite frankly, I think it's, it should be fairly familiar to all of us <clears throat> where Isaiah gets his commission. We can pick it up and here's the scene in heaven. Isaiah is looking at a scene in heaven and we can pick it up in, in Isaiah chapter 6 verse 2. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations and the thresholds trembled in the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. Then I said, that would be Isaiah, then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. According to John chapter 12, that King, the Lord of hosts, who Isaiah saw, was a pre-incarnate view of Christ sitting on the throne in heaven. See, when we we go back now to, uh, we we move back through here, in Colossians 1, essentially is telling us that he is the creator again and again. But now think of this. When he, that's the position he left to come down to this earth. Keep that in mind. We might uh, at least refocus on this passage a little bit later. But moving back toward uh, Philippians, matter of fact, we move just beyond Philippians to the next book, Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. Speaking of Christ, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Now, firstborn there, prototokos, doesn't mean like, oh, he's the first one born. 
like the Jehovah's Witnesses might come at you with this one. No, firstborn here means firstborn in terms of position or rank. Okay, in other words, he's over, on, as far as creation goes, he's over all of creation. He ranks above all creation. All right? And then verse, <clears throat> verse 1, verse 16, why does it say that? Well, for by him all things were created. Therefore, he's not the firstborn of those being created. He is in rank over and above creation. Why? Because he is the creator. Verse 16. For by him all things were created, both in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. That's referring to angelic beings there. All things have been created by him, and don't miss this last one, and for by him and for him. And then Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews 1, verse 1. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets, in many portions and in many ways, in these last days, has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. Again, Christ is creator. And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature. Okay, Philippians will be talking about that. And upholds, and upholds all things, upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Now, <clears throat> that first half is what I'm going to look at this morning is this he upholds all things by the word of his power. You know why the solar system stays in perfect harmony? The word of his power. You know why the sun comes up? Although it actually doesn't come up, but you know, you know what I mean. Why everything works, gravity works, and we all don't go flying off into space? It's the word of his power. Why we get seasons, why we get the rains, it's the word of his power. He upholds all things by the word of his power. He's there. This is Christ who came to this earth to die and pay the price for our sin. Okay, back to Philippians 2.6, where <clears throat> there's a second clause in that verse 6 that we definitely want to look at. Who, although he existed in the form of God... And here comes the second clause. Did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. Now, equality with God relates to the fact that the form of God declares the true nature of Christ as being God. It just says um, he existed in the form of, of God. Now, what, now, based on that form, what's the next statement say? And did not regard equality with God. See, being in the form of God is having equality with God. See? And it just it says it right here. But that second clause, and it said it but when we just looked at it, but because uh, it talked about that word form speaks of this having of Christ having the essential attributes of God. But then that's even made more clear by the second clause here where it says, did not regard equality, which he does have. With God, a thing to be grasped. Grasped means to be literally to be clutched onto, held onto tightly. He was willing to let that position of equality 
go for a time. We'll get into that more later. Now, again, equality regard restates the fact that he's informed. Now, that declares the true nature of Christ as being God. Now, we were Colossians again, Colossians 2 9. Um, <clears throat> you don't need to turn there, but Colossians 2 9 says, For in him, that's Christ, in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. I mean, the statements of Scripture are just clear. This is this is not a this is not a one of those secret truths of the Bible. No, this is plain. This is open. This is plain as day. This is an open fact. Matter of fact, this is this is what the Scripture teaches concerning Christ. Now, the fact of His equality with God, the Father, <clears throat> Jesus. Now, of this fact, Jesus both spoke and demonstrated during his ministry here on earth. I want to look at some of those because, I mean, just it's just the deity of Christ is such a, a cardinal doctrine, not only to the doctrine of salvation, but the church as a whole. This is one of those doctrines that must not be overlooked. Matter of fact, to deny the deity of Christ is to deny salvation itself. They just go hand in hand. Again, one of the great books of the New Testament that majors in the deity of Christ is the Gospel of John. Let's go back there and take a look. John chapter 5. And we'll pop through these kind of... I've only picked a few, and <clears throat> we've had some other things we want to look at too, but time permitting, we'll uh, read. I want to see some examples of his deity through his own teaching, through Christ's own teaching. John five seventeen. <clears throat> Again, he's having... None uh, of those confrontations with the uh, leadership. But he answered them, My father is working until now, and I myself am working. For this cause, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because he not only was breaking the Sabbath, but was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. See that? Even the scribes and Pharisees and the priests understood that by calling God his father, Jesus was making himself equal with God. <clears throat> now, John 8, moving forward, John chapter 8, verse 54. John chapter 8, we'll begin it in verse 54. <clears throat> Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. And you have not come to know him, but I know him. And, I, and, and if I say that I do not know him, I shall be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. The Jews therefore said to him, you are not only 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. That is heavy duty, as we used to say. <laughs> I am. Does that ring a bell at all? Remember the burning bush? Moses says, Who should I save? Sent Tell them, I am has sent you. I am that I am. That is a major claim. 
<clears throat> and again, Jesus Christ is either exactly who he claimed to be or he's the biggest fraud in all of history. You've got two ways to go. The middle ground won't get it. It's, there is no real middle. When it comes to Christ, there is no middle ground. You know, it, you believe in him or you don't. You can't kind of half believe. It, it, that doesn't work. That doesn't work. In John chapter 10, one of my, again, one of those great, there's so many great passages in, well, I'm going to say in John, but in all the scripture, but again, this one, John chapter 10, once again, he asserts his deity, and uh, this is that great passage of the, the good shepherd. Beginning verse 27, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give eternal life to them. That's a major claim if you're not God. I give eternal life to them? Hmm. See that? Again, he's claiming. I give eternal life to them, and they shall never perish, and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. I and the Father are one. Major statement. That means one in essence, just like it would state in Philippians. One in the in same in essence, the uh, the form, okay, one in form, one in essence. They're the same. They're the same. And also, he demonstrated his um, his deity in a variety of places. Let's look at Matthew. We're in John. Let's back up to Matthew real quick. And I'm, we're going to have to go quick. But um, <clears throat> Matthew chapter 8, we'll just pick up. I got three of them here. We're only going to do, yeah, we'll do two. 8.23. Matthew 8, 8.23-27. And when he had got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm in the sea. So that the boat was covered with waves, but he himself was asleep. And they came to him and awoke him and saying, save us, save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, why are you timid, you men of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and it became perfectly calm. <laughs> We're... We're talking about, eh, the, it didn't just say the storm stopped. No. And everything became perfectly calm. Can you imagine that? Just by saying the word, everything went, foom, just went flat. It was just like, you know the expression, the water is like glass, you know? It's just smooth. Nothing. Not even hardly a ripple. It's just perfectly calm. I love their reaction where he goes, verse 27, and the men marveled, saying, what kind of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? They even say, the winds and the sea. You know how you, um, <clears throat> if you stop something, you're still going to get the ripple effect? I mean, when the wind stopped, the sea went quiet. Pew! There's just no letting the waves play out. It just, it all went quiet. And that they were they marveled at that. These are fishermen. They understand how the, how this works. And to say when he just rebuke and then boom, 
everything went silent, the water went smooth, that they saw, what kind of man is this? That would be a, a very appropriate reaction. And um, chapter 9, we won't read that. Um, matter of fact, I think we'll just move on back to Philippians 2.6 for the sake of time. But Philippians 2.6, again, says, Who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, Note that Christ here made the decision. This is everything we read here is a decision made by Jesus Christ himself. He says Christ made the decision to what? Not regard equality with God as a thing to be grasped, or a thing to be clutched onto, a thing to be held onto, like, you know, I can't let go. No, he could let go of that. He could let go of that. And that decision was made. In eternity past. That was made prior to creation. Just like, because it goes hand in hand, with, just like salvation itself. Look at Acts, Acts chapter 2, that great first sermon of the church. Acts 2.23, just one verse I want to read here. This, this man, speaking of Jesus, of course, delivered up by the, by what? Now, what is delivered up? By the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But again, his coming here to do what he did was part of the predetermined plan of God. Predetermined. This was not a surprise. And so there's a lot of false teachings about Christ. Some will say, well, you know, he, he was out here doing, doing good and then all of a sudden, you know, Popular opinion turned against him. Things weren't were going way. They, you know, they wanted a kingdom, and he wasn't going to come across. And so, this very nice man, good teacher, but things just went wrong, and they ended up killing him. No, that is so false. <laughs> that is so false. Um, <clears throat> in Second Timothy one nine, Paul writing to Timothy says, speaking of Christ, who saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. It was always the plan of God, and by that I mean by God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Son being Jesus. Remember, remember when you read about Jesus, when, you, when we're going to read about him later, being we sung about him being on the cross. I mean... That was God the Son on the cross. That was the second person of the Trinity on the cross. I mean, do we, I think we need to sometimes get a, a that's why, you know, theology is important. Theology is our friend. I mean, it's not legalistic to learn about God. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. And hopefully it'll make us more appreciative of, uh, <clears throat> of what he's actually done for us and is doing and can do and will do. Um, like answering prayer, you know? It's amazing. And this, again, this equality. He's, equ- he's equal to the, the Son, is equal to the Father, is equal to the Holy Spirit in power, authority, and majesty. But guess what? He gave, uh, put a lot of that aside, especially the majesty, to come to this earth. Now we get to the passage, the next two verses, 7 and 8, which is the, <clears throat> I'll just call it like, it's the kenosis, 
passage. This is the kenosis. Say, so, well, what is that? Well, that comes from where he emptied himself, verse 7, but emptied himself. Okay, emptied comes from kenou, meaning to empty oneself completely or divest oneself of something. One thing that we want to note, yes, he emptied himself, but he did not cease to be God. At no point in time did he ever back away, even from, he didn't even reduce his deity by a percent. He, didn't, he was fully God when he walked this earth. Okay, we need to understand it. He was fully God when he walked this earth. We've already seen in, <clears throat> well, he said so himself. What, John 10, 30, what he says, I and the Father are one. One in essence. One in essence. We're not like I and the Father are eh, 98%. No, no, I'm 98%. No, I and the Father are one. We are one in essence. That's very important to, to realize and don't, don't lose sight of that. And again, notice the action. But emptied himself. He did it. He emptied himself. He divested himself of a lot of the, of, of especially that glory and some other things that we're going to see. But he emptied himself. Nothing was taken from him. He emptied himself. This was, you know, those passages say that God does everything after the counsel of his own will. God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit made this decision to create man and redeem man way back prior to the creation itself. And all this was part of the, if you ever just studied the, this was one of the decrees of God made prior to even creation itself. Matter of fact, the fact that Ephesians says we were chosen in him before the foundation of the world, you were chosen by a decree of God prior to creation itself. Think about that. Think about that. It's not to make, you, not to make us proud. It should make us more humble. You know. And again, once again, it's important to understand he did not empty himself of deity. He emptied himself of the many prerogatives of deity, such as the glory that went with it. And that's why in John 17, that great prayer that he gave at the uh, for his disciples, he said, Father, give me the glory that I had with you before the foundation of the world. And, and, don't, and remember this again. Remember John 12, 41? Remember Isaiah 6? That was the, who Isaiah saw was Jesus on the throne in all of his glory. That's what he left when he came here, among other things. Now, Philippians 2, 7. Now we get to 2, 7 and 8. This is going to, now we're going to be taught by Paul here. What's the extent of this emptying? What do you mean? Okay, he emptied himself, all right. And, okay, of what? Well, he emptied himself. Well, first point being made here, taking on the form of a bondservant. That bondservant, doulos, slave. All right. When Christ became man, he took a slave's form, all right? His humiliation pertained to his human nature, you know, pertained to his human nature alone and not to his divine nature. That's an important point, okay? 
his humiliation and his divinity he only applied to his, him as being human. As a man, Christ humbled himself. He took a slave's form in order to fulfill his role as Savior. His deity remained intact. Nothing changed. Nothing was altered. His deity remained intact. Again, he demonstrated his role as a slave when he washed the disciples' feet, when he washed the feet of the twelve. That was a very lowly job. That was done in households by a slave, generally, if they did it at all, by a slave because it was demeaning. You get down in somebody's dirty feet and scrub them off. Remember, the people they walked around in sandals, they got dirty. So that was, that was a job for a slave. And that was the point that Jesus was trying to make to his uh, disciples that, hey, you see me, what I demonstrated, you show the same humility amongst yourselves. That was the lesson there. Now, Christ taking the form of a slave ex- explained a lot of misunderstandings that people have in certain passages in the scripture. And here again, those that say Christ was not equal to the Father, Christ was lesser, he was even created. They go to such passages like, I'm just going to quote a few out of there, just again for the sake of time. Well, like in John 5.19, where it says, the son can do nothing of himself. Ah, see, he's inferior. No, he's not inferior. But remember, he left those prerogatives of deity back and he submitted himself under the authority, not only of the father, but was led by the Holy Spirit. We saw that at, the, at, the, at his baptism, where the Spirit came down and led him into the wilderness. Mark says, just drug him into the, just drew him into the wilderness. Okay, that's part of that. And again, in John 5 and John 8, he said, I can do nothing of my own initiative. See? But when you understand that he humbled himself and put himself will, willingly in that subservient position even though he was face to face with God co-equal with God John 1 through 2 see that so and then in John 14 and this this would be um, at the uh, around the table at the last supper he says the father is greater than I John 14 28 but yeah in that subservient position certainly See, he humbled himself and became obedient and became obedient in the form of a bondservant. And it goes on in verse 7, being made in the likeness of men. Well, likeness, again, refers uh, to that which is made to be like something else, not just in appearance, but in reality. Jesus was not a clone. He was not a replica of a man. He became, you know, he became like all other humans, having all the attributes of humanity. By the way, uh, he was and still is 100% man. And by the way, he's 100% God also. One man. Two natures, one man. Human nature, divine nature, one man. For you, uh, theology. It's the hypostatic union for you theology. But you can look that one. Hey, Siri, right? No. Did something go off just now? No. Okay. Now, so keep that going. And then verse 8, we move down to verse 8, where it says, And being found in the appearance as a man, 
he humbled himself. Okay? He humbled himself. Again, he humbled himself. Think again. Look at, see, look at the action there. He humbled He wasn't humbled. He humbled himself. He put himself in that humble position. That's very important. That's a big distinction. He humbled himself. This was clearly a voluntary humiliation on the part of Christ. Okay? And because this fact is true, all right, Paul is bringing this fact to the attentions of the Philippians and by extension ourselves, right, that what we see in Christ is indeed the the supreme act of humility. He humbled himself. That same Christ on the throne that Isaiah looked at and saw holiness and what and what he what Isaiah saw by seeing the glory of Christ Isaiah saw his own sinfulness I'm a man of unclean lips you know he saw the glory of God and saw his sinfulness okay that's that's the picture of Christ on the throne not just some random king of just pick your favorite historical king I can't think of one right now how about Nebuchadnezzar okay but anyway but you think of all the kings throughout all of history they're nothing compared to the the king of kings and that's who Isaiah saw and that's the position our Lord left to come down here I mean that is question can any can any human come from such a a so high a place as God and descend to such a low of a place as he did? No. It, it, it's impossible. Number one, we could never get, we, we're never going to be that high. Satan thought he was going to, remember? Yeah, Satan thought he was going to do that. I will ascend and go ahead. No, no, you're not. No, you're not. He's out of here. You're out of here. Okay? No. They can't. They can't. Well, and so just how low can he go? Well, he's going to tell us now. Verse Back to verse 8. And being found in the appearance of a man, as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's how low he went. Becoming obedient to the point of death. Well, this was the very reason the second person of the Trinity came to this earth as a man. Back to Matthew again. Matthew 16. Matthew 16. Great passage here again for so many reasons. We'll just pick it up for the context because it's just such a great passage. Verse 13 of Matthew 16. Now when Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, he began asking his disciples, saying, Who do people say that I, the Son of Man, is? And they said, So some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And also say to you, Peter, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. 
And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he warned the disciples that they should tell no one that he was the Christ. Well, why? Because things are going to start changing now in his ministry. That's why. Now, we just keep moving. Verse 21. From that time, Jesus Christ began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised upon the third day. His ministry from that point focused. You just follow that through. I made like a little champion. And it's just from this point on, he just right up to the crucifixion itself. <clears throat> he keeps telling them, we're going, going to Jerusalem, I'm going to die. Going to Jerusalem, I'm going to die. Going to die, I'm going to die. That's what he was born for. He was born to come and pay the price. Of course, Peter didn't understand it. You know, Peter trying to be helpful, verse 22. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Oh, God forbid. God forbid, Lord, this shall, this shall never happen to you. <laughs> but he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. That's pretty strong words. That, uh, that, that caught old Peter's attention. Get behind me, Satan. You are, you are a stumbling block to me. For you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. See that? This is part of God's plan, that he come, suffer, and die. And rise again. Don't forget that. And rise again. But that's all part of it. We can't go back there, but I'd encourage you, that's the plan too. You can read Isaiah 53, well worth reading, where it tells all this is coming. Becoming obedient, even to the point of death. And then it goes on to say, and to add a lot of inference to this, a lot of punch to this, even death on a cross. Well, why? Yeah, he came to die, but more specifically, die on a cross. Well, why bring that up? Well, because crucifixion is one of the most excruciating, painful, and shameful forms of execution devised by mankind. It, it really was. I mean, it was one of those things reserved for slaves and only the vilest of criminals and people like that were enemies of the state. You, you cause a insurrection against Rome, you're going to wind up on a cross, right? And many did. Read, we'll close with this, or in closing, let's start this. We've got about five minutes left. Look at Matthew, the book of Matthew, again, chapter 27. Matthew 27, 24. We'll pick it up where Jesus is actually standing before Pilate. And when Pilate saw that he was accomplishing nothing, but rather that a riot was starting... He took water and washed his hands in front of the multitude, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to that yourselves. (laughs) By washing his hands, Pilate said, I'm innocent of this man's blood. Anybody out here believe it? (laughs) No. No, he was just guilty as a rest. And all the people answered and said, 
His blood be on us and our children. You mean, you imagine how strong one's hatred must be to make a statement like that? They hated Christ so much, they said, his blood be on us and our children? That is remarkable to me. But this is what the Son of God, second person of the Trinity, came down to earth to experience the crowd yelling at him with such hatred and vile. In verse 20, it goes, uh, then he released Barabbas for them, and, but, after, but after having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Then the soldiers and the governor took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole Roman cohort around him, and they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him, and after weaving a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand, and they kneeled down before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. This is the creator of the universe who left that position to, to assume this position of being mocked by people he could have thought out of existence, by the way. You want to talk about long-suffering? We're witnessing it right here. Right here. Okay? And they spat on him and took the reed and began to beat him on the head. And after they had mocked him, they took his robe off and put his garments on him and led him away to crucify him. And as they were coming out of they found a man of Cyrene named Simon, whom they pressed in the service of the various cross. Now, verse 33. And when they had come to a place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull, they gave him wine to drink, mingled with myrrh, and he was unwilling to drink. Okay, and then when they had crucified him, they divided up his garments among them and casting lots. You'll read that. You can read about that in Psalm 22, by the way. And sitting down, they began keeping, kept to keep watch over him. And they put over his head the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. And at this, in that time, two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those passing by were hurling abuse at him, wagging their heads. Just kind of, eh, yeah, that kind of, you just picture it. Hurling abuse, just walking. You're hanging on the cross, suffering one of the most excruciating, painful deaths one can, ex- can experience. And then you've got these people mocking you and making fun of you, walking around below you. And saying, they were saying, you are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in, in three days? Save yourself. If you, are, if you are the son of God, come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests also among them with the scribes and the elders were mocking him and saying, he saved others, he cannot save himself. He is the king of the Jews. Let, let him now come down from the cross and we shall believe in him. He trusts in God, let him deliver him now if he takes pleasure in him. For he said, I am the son of God. And the robbers also who had been crucified with him were casting the same insult as him. So even the two thieves... We know one of them actually did come to uh, repentance a little later on. But at this point, no. And then verse 45. Now from the sixth hour, darkness fell upon the land until the ninth hour. And I'm just going to stop right there. On top of everything we just saw, read about. From the sixth hour, which is noon... To the ninth hour is when Jesus, that, that, those three hours of darkness, when everything just went black, the lights went out. That's when Jesus, on top of everything else, 
Now Jesus in those three hours was experiencing the wrath of God upon the sins he was carrying, none of which, by the way, were his own. They were ours. They were ours. Again, this is where, you know, in like Second Corinthians 5, you know, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's what was taking place. He was, he was our substitute. But then, you see what we read about all this from the, you know, he, all that abuse he took from the people he created, and then the then three hours of the wrath of God upon him for the sins he was carrying. I mean, just let's just put this in, in real perspective. I mean, from the throne of heaven to where he was sitting and the angels would cry back and forth about him holy 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 to this on the cross three hours of judgment from God and not only all the mocking and sneering and the physical pain and suffering from the crowd again I think in closing a fitting place to close I think is the passage we're looking at, but I'm going to back up Philippians chapter 2, verse, beginning at verse 3, and end where we began. <clears throat> Again, with Christ as our example, and I hope we have a little bit better understanding of the extent of his humility that he did. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. And being found in the appearance of as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. I wonder how much have we given up for someone else lately? That's pretty big. Let's, let's pray. Our Father, our God, we again, we come to you this morning and just, just speaking for myself in awe of what what you did for us and what you gave behind you the creator you who is deserving of all worship left that position you came down here to suffer and die and pay for our sin lord jesus we just thank you for that sacrifice and lord god may we as your people be found worthy of you in jesus name we pray amen